You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to this episode of My First Show. Today's guest is a friend, a colleague, a brilliant performer, brilliant theater maker, brilliant musician, and a brilliant human just all around. And someone I'm a big fan of and have been for a long time. Um, Rachel Bloom, thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, that was such a lovely introduction. That was so sweet. Thank you for having me. It's all true. We only speak the truth on my first show. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sorry, but congrats to you because last time I saw you, there was a bump on your belly. (laughs) (laughs) And that was before so much has happened, including the world falling apart. But that is joy. That is delightfulness. That is happiness. So can we start there? Yes. Oh, you can always start there. I just got done breastfeeding. (laughs) Um, it's, it's so trippy. I mean, it's, it's the craziest, um, I don't know. There's so many ways to, there's so many ways to describe it. There's so many things that make sense about the world now. Um, about, I don't know. I I think whenever I saw storylines in movies and TV where it was just like, but my kids, I can't leave my kids. I'd be like, boring. And now I, suddenly relate to it. I basically suddenly relate to every story that I, um, about like being a parent that I, that I hadn't like related to before. Um, and then also I have a lot more and and many new emotional triggers. Um, any story that not only I hear, but have ever heard about cruelty to children, uh, bothers me immensely. So that's a new thing as well. Yeah. That makes sense. You you gave birth mid-pandemic, is that right? Oh, thick of the pandemic. In fact, I got induced um, specifically be- because, so I was, I was due right around the time New York was getting really bad and the hospitals were getting bad and, and fathers were starting to get barred from the delivery room. Mm. And so my doctor had said to me, um, and you may hear a baby crying in the background. Um, my doctor said, you know, I I think I want to get you in and out of the hospital as quick as possible. And so the, you can safely induce at 39 weeks, uh, which is a week before your set Mm -hmm. due date. Uh, but the baby is done and cooked at 39 weeks. So that's what I, I did. Um, and 
I gave birth and around us, as I was recuperating, they were turning the floor below the maternity ward into an all COVID floor. So they were bringing furniture from that floor up to the maternity ward. And then my daughter was in the NICU, which is um, such a scary, uh, awful thing to go through. Um, Mm. And my husband and I couldn't be in the NICU at the same time because of COVID regulations. She was in the hospital for a few days after we left and my husband couldn't go back and see her and I could only go back once a day. Again, it was all COVID regulations. And and I watched the NICU people, NICU people, I watched the healthcare workers um, get, get new guidelines from the CDC kind of on the hour. They were just scrambling. And it was really, it was just a, an incredibly, incredibly intense time. Yeah. Because everything was changing and no one had ever seen this before and everyone was wearing the rules as they went along, right? So that's why. That it felt, it, and it felt truly apocalyptic. And then, and then the night I gave birth is when I found out Adam was on a ventilator. Huh. Um, I had no idea he had COVID. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm like punch drunk from <laughs> giving birth. And I was like, let me check my emails. Um and it was it was by far the most intense and somewhat you know the lows being traumatic and the highs being um i guess like cosmically wonderful like the the kind of most intense two weeks of my life by far i can only imagine the high those highs and those lows i mean you lost a great collaborator and someone that is so important to you, but also we as the world lost an amazing person and Adam Schlesinger. And I'm just, I'm curious how you're doing emotionally and feeling about creation and all the future creation you're going to do um, without him in your life. Yeah. Well, I, as anyone who's lost someone knows uh, who's listening to this, this, this is really my one of my first experiences with griefs, I've with with grief, I have lost grandparents. Um, but there's something about when you you know when you lose grandparents, and and really, I was only old enough to remember two of them passing away. Um, there's there's just something fundamentally different about that. Um, and unfortunately, there's you know an illness that precedes a grandparent passing away. This this was the first time I've I have been so close to something so sudden happening to someone so young. Um the th- and it you know it comes in waves. It's you're it's uh, an ocean. You're you're riding this kind of boat on an ocean and and I the thing that I'm definitely feeling right now as I'm also getting back into work and also I've been doing my part and quarantining. I have a newborn, so the definition of an immunocompromised person, we've been doing nothing. And as I'm quarantining and being a good girl and doing everything I should, and then I hear about these, can I curse? Please. Absolutely. And then I hear about these just, these selfish motherfuckers who are walking around ruining California. Yeah. I used to think, oh, you know, America has its problems, but I live in California. And no, you hear about what's happening in uh, my hometown of Manhattan Beach. I hear people, I I know a friend who went to walk on the beach there the other day and no one was wearing masks. And it's all these young fucks. I mean, a lot, some of them are old, are older fucks, but I really resent the young 
like the young kind of hot fucks who are just going to the beach and not wearing masks and breathing on each other and like tongue kissing each other being like, I'll never die. And I just, I'm just like, fuck you. Like, fuck you. My daughter hasn't been held by any of her grandparents yet. Eat my fucking ass. Wear a fucking mask. You selfish pieces of shit. Like, so I just feel this general uh, anger. And and then there's a creative anger of Adam was doing our, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. I think doing Crazy X especially was so exciting for him because we, we, you know, we wrote 157 original songs and, and I truly believe he was in the middle of his career. Mm. Truly. And just all of the songs that will never get written and all the things he had to say that will never get said. And I'm very practically going through this process now because he and I were working on the nanny together. And so there is a literal thought process of how do you replace him? It's when you, when you, when you grieve someone, there's an existential, they can never be replaced. Um, But in this, in this case, it's, it's literal. I have to suddenly replace someone and it just, uh, it makes me so mad and sad. And I, and at the same time, I feel bad about my anger because I know that people are in quarantine and it's a really difficult situation and it's a mental health issue of being isolated, isolated from the outside world, isolated from our friends, our loved ones. So I also understand people not wanting to wear masks and going outside and just wanting to go to a fucking restaurant and be normal again. I I also understand that I want to balance out my anger by saying, I understand where it's coming from. I am just, um, and I don't think that the people not wearing masks or anyone who's inadvertently spreading COVID, I don't think they're necessarily bad people. Um, I have an understanding and empathy for what it's like to be in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I feel, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us feel angry and helpless. Yeah. 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 No, that's really beautifully put. And, uh, there are no words, right? There are, you're absolutely right. It, it is, it is anger inducing and infuriating to, to see carelessness in the face of this, as we, as we think about all the things we've lost and the people we've lost, but we have our health and we're alive. And so mm-hmm. that's actually first and paramount. And, and that has to drive everything else. We can go to bars later. We can go shopping again later, but we can't live again or hug our grandma <laughs> again or our mother or our friend again. Um, so I'm with you in that anger and I'm with you in that frustration. And I'm also with you in that empathy. Um, and that's why now is so confusing and very hard. Very it's hard. it's very hard, and I have to remember whenever I get angry about it. Um, and I'm angry about it obviously because I had this very personal loss. But I I I have to remember, Adam didn't die from him trying to quarantine and someone not wearing a mask in his space. He died from the world going about his business as usual, mm-hmm. which. Um, was he he was in the wrong place at the wrong time there's an unluckiness to new york city in general and then a, a failure of the system mm-hmm. um you know starting from the president and of course extending to de blasio who on march 2nd told new yorkers to 
live their lives like normal, which is probably around when Adam caught it. So the, the, the blame, I'm trying to reorient, I'm trying to redirect my anger and just put it in, put it into like love for my daughter and protecting my family and, and trying to be grateful for all the things I have, but it's hard not to be angry because there's nowhere to put that anger. There's nothing I can say with my limited social media reach that's going to really change anything. Um, it's such a, it's such an expansive existential, massive problem. And I mean, this is, you know, podcast about the theater talking about, (laughs) I think being a live performer now, I mean, it's, it's the hardest to do what we do, right? It's, I mean, that's the thing that, that makes this show so important and this time so difficult because the thing we love to do and forget like our work, the thing we love to do as fans, which is go to shows, yeah, we can't do. The thing that makes us feel more alive, we can't do. And that's that's what makes everything that much more upsetting and frustrating. I, I hear you. Listen, I think putting that anger into the love of your daughter, into the, the, the growth of yourself, into however you can be and, and create in this next phase of your life that is doing something that that is and you know I applaud it and I appreciate it thank you and I just I again want to reiterate uh, because this is such a polarizing time and I don't want to just put anger out in the world I I also want to acknowledge that it's easier for me to quarantine in that I have a house where I don't live in a one-bedroom apartment I live in a house with room I have a front yard I have a backyard. I have I have a, a space uh, that I can that I can be in. I live with people. I, I live with my husband. I have a partner, so I I have um, uh, emotional support during this quarantine. I've, I've been thinking about you for the last few months, and I'm I'm glad I'm glad you're okay and that you and your family are healthy and. I'm I'm happy to hear where you're at as tough as it is it's it's just good to know how real you are and how you're facing real challenges and questions and um and you know with that let's reminisce let's remember where it all began which is <laughs> what was the first show you ever saw so I'm pretty sure I'd seen other shows but the first one that really made an impact was Guys and Dolls. Mm-hmm. I saw it when I was uh, five years old at a local, at a community theater called the Kentwood Players, which still exists in Southern California. And my grandfather had been directing and performing there. My grandfather was an amateur um, actor, director, and stand-up comic. And he'd been doing stuff at the Kentwood Players since the fifties. And so my, my grandparents took me to see Guys and Dolls. And I just, I have this memory of watching Adelaide sing Bushel and a Peck and like pointing at me when she said, I love you. And like, I knew I liked theater, but there was something about that night that was incredibly impactful. Mm. Mm. And is that why I've heard that you like to perform Adelaide's Lament, which Uh let's just say you're not the only girl on the radio right now with you that likes to perform Adelaide's Lament. Oh yeah. And is that where that came from? Oh yeah. I did Adelaide's Lament. I mean, that was an audition song I had for a long time, of course. I did it for my uh, middle school lip sync contest. Um, 
which went over, uh, you know, as you'd imagine. Um, I need a little more. Yeah. Not uh, a win? Uh, 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 I mean, I got it. I got it. I actually got third place. It's just the type of thing where like you're uh, a lip sync contest. It's also like it was an outdoor amphitheater because because I grew up in Southern California, our kind of quad space was outdoors and the lip sync contest was on this kind of stage that was outdoors in this big quad. So it's not like people could see me up close. And Adelaide's Lament is, you know, uh, it is a talk song. Oh yeah. A patter song, basically. Yeah, it's a patter song. You're, you're sitting you're sitting for it. So I'm surprised I placed third considering, uh, that like no one, it just looked like a person that was sitting in a, sitting in a chair. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a classic. I think it's also Adelaide's Lament is a classic comedy song. Cause I know as a musical theater major, something that was something that motivated me to get into songwriting was the lack of audition material like the lack of good comedy song audition material for women and the fact that Adelaide's Lament is is such a staple in that area I think is also a testament to and it's getting better the lack of just good audition material for women who wanted to do something funny yeah yeah and didn't need to be a oversexed underappreciated um uh matron also at 11 yeah yeah, yeah. It's a it's um it's a nuanced song with I mean it it's it's dated and that she's talking about, you know, being an old maid um and needing to get married that her health is literally predicated on the idea of uh needing to get married. There are a lot of problematic things in it. Um <laughs> but it's hey, it's a classic. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I agree. Maybe maybe one day we'll do ours for each other. If you're up for it. <laughs> I haven't done it in a solid 10 years. I'd be interested in. Um, I bet you have every lyric. I promise you have it. You know, I sent in a tape uh, four years ago. There was a movie. There was a Guys and Dolls movie that was, I think it was Tom Hooper. I don't know where it's at now, but I had sent in an audition tape for Adelaide. Mm-hmm. I never heard back. <laughs> Uh, first show you were in. I was in the Three Little Pigs when I was uh, about, I think, four years old, and it was the type of thing where three different kids would play each pig, and they'd say the lines at the same time. So, which pig were you? Truly, don't remember. <laughs> but I just remember that I was a little pig. Because one liked houses of wood mm-hmm. and one of brick mm-hmm. and one what was the third i can't even remember uh it was it, i think it was straw sticks and bricks so i want to say i was I, I have nothing to back this up but i think i was the stick pig <laughs> I, I i can hear it yes yeah, and that was community theater my uh for, you know, those the people may not all be wearing masks in Manhattan Beach, but at the time that I was a child, there was a nice uh, city-sponsored children's uh, community theater class in the community center. And did you ask to audition? Did your mom put you up for it? Like, what was the casting process? Oh, it wasn't an audition. It was a children's theater class that culminated in us all doing the Three Little Pigs. Um, my first audition... 
because that that was a lot of my early theater experience were these these theater programs or these theater mm-hmm. camps through the city where everyone would just automatically get cast Got it. in you know whatever play um i my first audition i remember auditioning at the local community college they were doing the music man and I auditioned for Amaryllis hmm. and that was my first, I was like eight years old and that was my first real audition. And we had to audition with the people playing the parts in front of all the other kids. Oh, wow. That's like very 19. Yeah. It was Broadway. Yeah. It was, it felt very old school. It was very intimidating. So I got to see all the other little girls and their interpretation. Um, I saw the girl who got it. I was like, this girl's going to get Amaryllis. She's the best. And then I got in the chorus and but then I was like, mm, I don't want to be in the course, so I dropped out. <laughs> Good girl, save yeah. save it for a lead. That's what I said. Yeah, I should have stayed in. I don't know. And so your first professional show, I guess, wasn't quite that. The first show for which I was ever paid, I had just gotten out of college. My friend was the accompanist for a topical musical political parody show oh and uh and actually my friend jill donnelly was a mainstay of the show but she couldn't make one of the performances which was being done at a theater in queens right near the site of the world's fair and so i stepped in for her and i think i got paid for that and that was my first paid theater gig was that queens theater in the park it, it was an indoor space. Indoor, yeah. It was an indoor space. I played Sarah Palin um, at, in a parody of Because uh, I'm a Woman. That. Um, yeah, I think that space is called Q-Tip, or was, even though it's indoors. It's oh, interesting. I think so. So I remember it being in a beautiful space. Yeah. Um, so that was, I mean... Yeah, that was uh, about, say, like 12 years ago. And so doing that show, even doing Three Little Pigs and mm-hmm. Music Man for three weeks and all of this. I mean, there are a lot of shows in between. But, <laughs> in between those two, I'll say. I'm sure. I'm sure. And and like, to what degree, as you were performing, did you sort of look around and say, you know what, I'm gonna keep doing this I'm gonna be in the world of musical theater somehow a lot um I have a very uh interesting relationship with musical theater and actually my book coming out there's a section on this but why tell us more well the problem that I had is for so long I was a musical kid that that it defined every part of my identity And my self-esteem was completely wrapped up in my talent. Mm -hmm. So when I auditioned and I didn't get a part, it wasn't just devastation. It was, I am lesser than. And granted, it, it drove me that it was always a silver lining. Like, okay, well, if I don't get this part, it'll just mean that I need to try harder and I need to take more classes. Because as I got older, I started doing um, these more professional teen or professional-esque teen theaters. I started taking a lot of voice classes. I, I really became a musical theater kid. But I 
when I got to college, I realized how much my self-esteem was wrapped up in my natural ability. Because I, in thinking about the way I used to audition, it, it was like I, I, I also had some attention issues. I would really rely on my natural ab- ability to get me through auditions to, you can't really rely on that to get you through rehearsals because rehearsals are rehearsals. But, but there was a lot of like my natural talent. And when I got to college and I knew I would be in college with people who were more talented than I was. I, I intellectually knew that, but actually getting to college and really being around some of these talented people, um, a lot of whom no faults of their own, but they, they knew each other because a lot of them had gone to either stage door um, or right. they had done the NYU, uh, I think it was the NYU high school musical theater program. A lot of them knew each other. It felt like a lot of the like most talented kids who set the tone of the program knew each other. And so I felt insecure. Um, and I went into school with swollen vocal folds. So I was kind of in this already in this vocal recovery space. And, um, and then simultaneous with that, when I talked, I talked earlier about looking for the perfect audition song, um, around the time I got into college, I got on a sketch comedy group and I really started to fall in love with comedy writing. And the more I learned about the technique of comedy writing, the more I noticed when musicals, especially that were dated, uh, weren't funny. Mm-hmm. And I began to get frustrated at what I felt was the lack of quality and specifically comedic quality in, in musicals. And so it, it drove me a little bit away from musical theater. I transferred from the musical theater program at NYU to the experimental theater program. And then I spent my last semester um, not doing theater at all. I was an intern at uh, the Onion News Network and Saturday Night Live. um, And I was taking a lot of classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, um, the New York one, rest in peace. Um, And so it was always... I actually, for my own, I think, relationship with musical theater, I needed to leave it and then come back to it voluntarily because because I was I left it and I said, okay, I'm going to go into comedy because everyone said you need to choose. You need to choose if you're going to do musical theater, if you're going to do comedy, you can't do both. It, it just, at the time I was in school, there there wasn't, I had never heard the term multi-hyphenate. The, the only <laughs> comps that I had of people who did multiple things were John Leguizamo and Lily Tomlin. Those were the two people I could think of who combined their writing with theater somehow. Otherwise, it was this binary choice from the comedy side, too. Comedians would be like, when are you going to stop that dumb musical theater thing and just focus on comedy? So when I wanted to put a show up at UCB, I wanted to make a name for myself. Uh, I I kind of thought, okay, well, what, what do I bring to the table as a comedian that no one else is doing and I had taken a musical theater writing class at the uh, at, at the grad musical theater writing program at NYU a couple summers before and I'd never thought to combine it with sketch comedy but for whatever reason I, I, I decided to do a sketch show that took place within the context of the musical A Chorus Line <laughs> um, and my director I was directing this developing the show, my director said, well, you got to do a song. You can't do a, sh- a show that takes place within a course line. It was originally like a sketch show. It was like every person would step forward and share their story and it would kind of dissolve or turn into a sketch. Um, and so she said, well, you got to write a song. And I settled on writing a song about the movie Space Jam that this person would come forward and say, I have an important story to tell. And then it was just about their love of the movie Space Jam. So that was the first real 
comedic song I ever wrote. And my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband and the father of my daughter, um, I was playing the song for him and he was a, a more established at that theater and, and a more experienced comedian. And he was like, you should do more of this musical stuff. No one's doing this. This is interesting. Everyone's doing sketch, but no one's doing musical comedy. And that kind of got me on this trajectory. And mm. now that I wasn't um, hitching my horse to being a, a musical theater star anymore, I could come back to musical theater and be more of a fan looking looking at it from the kind of the the outside in. And, th- and that was my way back into loving musical theater. Wow. Wow. And, and that's a direct path to crazy X, right? That, oh yeah, that. totally. It, that, it very quickly, that became my thing. I wanted to combine my knowledge of uh, comedy and sketch and then TV writing, the efficiency of TV writing. Because I, I took a TV writing class and the efficiency of the narrative, I learned a very, I learned like a great technique in sitcom writing. I felt like was lacking in, in musicals. There's a lot of, I felt shagginess in musical theater that like, if I always said like, Oh, but if musical people could just take a single TV writing class, the musicals would be so much tighter and, and better (laughs) and more focused, which I still believe. I think that there can be a lot more, um, uh, kind of um melding of the of the techniques that you learn in in television um and to some extent film and put and putting it into theater um but yeah this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And and this NYU class was cra- full of crazy talent, if I'm not mistaken, right? This is Ali Stroker. Oh, yes. Taub, right? Yeah. And, and I have to say, everyone was nice. I was just more intimidated. And then the interesting thing is as I got, as I got older and, and as we, as we got on in school, um, a lot of them also, uh, stepped away from musical theater for a second to do other things. So I went to Amsterdam, uh, I went to the experimental theater program in Amsterdam with, uh, Ali Stroker as well as he wasn't in cap, but, uh, John Early was in that program. Um, Shana and I were in the experimental wing, uh, transfer track together. Um, and her now husband, I was on a sketch group with, <laughs> so there's a lot of, and then Skylar, Skylar Lipstein, um, as otherwise known as Skylar Aston was of course in that class, but he left, he left kind of early on because I think in our freshman year, he was already doing spring awakening. Um, dream time, Rachel, 
if you could be in any show anywhere at any moment in history. Oh, the history. Or wow. The future, or the future. Whatever, whatever you wish. Oh my God. What would it be? Oh, I hadn't taken into account historical context. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, to be in the original, I mean, I think to be in that original cast of A Chorus Line Mm -hmm. and to just witness that happening and the fact that the actors were so, um, that that actor feedback was so important in developing that show. I'm, I'm in the middle of watching Every Little Step. That just sounds so special and amazing. And then, um, same thing with, I think about, I mean, being in that, that, uh, that original cast of Rent sounds so incredibly special, but my dream role really is, uh, I I would love to play Harold Hill in The Music Man. (laughs) Back to your Patterson, right? What a, I just, it's all Patterson songs, um, there's a there's definitely a safety to like you can speak sing it so even if you're having a bad vocal day it's not the end of the world right right there's right. no like it's not like when you're doing alpha bun it's just like if I don't get uh, like if I don't get that and I crack everyone's like she's a failure there's a there's a you know Harold Harold Hill is a general wash washes over you but also what a fun part yeah and like sort of a um a lovely um um antagonist as well right like an empathetic actually you know very good with a with a stripe of evil yeah you're totally right actually oh, you're totally right he actually is can I say this? He has some similarities to Rebecca Bunch in that way. I'm flattered. You can absolutely <laughs> say that. You know, I never even put that together, but you're completely right. He's a shithead. <laughs> no, he's a real problematic shithead. He's a con man. And the fact that the show isn't about the town, like if you were doing that as a TV show, I feel like the note from executives would be like, well, can't we, can't the lead really be someone in the town? And he comes in and it's their experience of him. But the fact it starts with him and you're from his POV is really unique and interesting. Yeah. 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 He's a, he's a conflicted protagonist or, or a kind antagonist, however you want to yeah. look at Yeah. It. I love that. That's great. Well, is listen. he a sociopath? Yes. Harold Hill has some, he, he seems to have some, um, real problems with empathy and he definitely has the thing where he looks at other people smiling and then is like, Oh, I should be smiling right now. Right. Yeah. Wow. What a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really funny. So, um, there's a section of the show that we don't tell our guests about. It's a surprise. Great. It's a lightning round where we put 30 seconds on the clock And I list off classic musicals from history or from current. And you tell me what you think the emotional theme of that show is. I love it. (laughs) One word, two words, three words, but, you know, as succinct as possible. Okay. Uh, If you don't know a show, you can say pass or you can guess. Yeah. No one will know. 
Um, so I'm going to throw 30 seconds on the clock. Oh, and the, wow. and the goal is to like, see how in sync you and I are. Only I will know that answer, but okay. I promise Great. I will be honest. Um, 30 seconds on the clock and here we go. Man of La Mancha. Dreaming is Hello. good. <laughs> it's good. That was good. Hello, Dolly. Love everyone. Finding Neverland. Oh, pass. Evita. Sometimes it pays to be an asshole. South Pacific. Don't be racist, but also this show kind of is. <laughs> Pippin. Honestly, I have no fucking idea. Pippin is batshit. <laughs> Music man. Sometimes sociopaths can be fine if they fall in love. <laughs> that was really good. That Thank was you. really good. That was that was funnier than what I had. I will I'll admit it. That was that was great. Um, will you tell us a little bit about the book that's coming out? Um, I think we're going to be excited. Yeah. So it's called I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. <laughs> um, and it's it's about really my experience with my relationship to normalcy. And uh, my experience is trying to fit in, not fitting in, and then, of course, coming to the conclusion that, of course, there's no such thing as normal. But it's it starts in childhood and talks about um, – the bullying experiences I had, um, and goes through, uh, college and, and talks about, um, me being just the world's worst roommate. And, uh, of course being intimidated with, uh, going to school with people who are way more talented than I was, which the story of that is actually told through a musical. Mm -hmm. Um, it's written lyrics. And then I hope to have, uh, you can listen along if when you read that part of the book and then uh it extends into like crazy x and working on crazy x and how that was far from a normal show to work on um and then going into fame and award shows and how there's there's no normal way to approach that wow 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 you're a golden globe and an emmy award winner right yes and you are also a real human and I, yes, that is, that is correct. I mean, it's kind I of, I am human, <laughs> but it's kind of incredible that, and, and, you know, I say this because we have a lot of theater fans that listen and I want everyone to know that like, you can start out being second guessing and feeling, um, alone and, and questioning your worth and a lot of great can happen. Um, yes, yes. And I find that the people who have always been confident and are just like, I've never doubted myself. I'm, I, there's an inauthenticity to that because vulnerability is, is, and doubting ourselves is I think a, a fundamental part of the human experience. Um, I, and I think that, uh, I think that social media is, is good and bad in the ways that it, it, it sometimes can expose um, our mutual vulnerability, but also I think is a way for people to be like, I'm hashtag brave today. And it's like, but that's not how you actually feel. And that filter isn't how you actually feel. So I just wanted to rant about social media. I don't have a point. No, rant away. I mean, you know, for, for, um, for this moment in time where there's so much anxiety and depression um, it is very easy to get lost in things like an external view of yourself, which social media, um, that's all it does actually. Yes. Um, and so I think it's really important to, to rant and, um, and tell and remind everyone to stay grounded and authentic, even if we're feeling anxious, even if we're feeling depressed, 
um, ride the roller coaster. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's hard for theater fans right now. It's hard for theater performers. Um, and, and if just on a separate note, cause I talk about this in the book, if you're like me and you have, I, I, I think I relied on being a theater kid as like an emotional crutch that I told myself, Oh, well, the reason I don't fit in is because I'm a theater kid or the reason I'm bad at, at school right now is because I'm a theater kid. So I just, it's all I'd rather be doing. And I don't know. I think I, I defined myself so much as a theater kid that it, um, I didn't, I didn't look internally enough and didn't look at all the nuances that made me, me enough. So I, that's always kind of my, I don't know. My message to theater kids, um, is, is, is just taking a beat and, and making sure you're coming from, from a, an emotionally, um, authentic place that feels good for you. I like that. I wasn't sure if you're going to say my message to theater kids is get outside and play a sport. Oh, oh, <laughs> um, I wish I, I wish I had, I, I, again, it goes to like the stories we tell ourselves. I wish I hadn't told myself the story of I'm a theater kid who hates sports because being active is healthy and getting outside with sunscreen and a proper hat, um, because skin cancer runs in my family. Um, if you are uh, Irish or English or, uh, of the Ashkenazi Jewish persuasion would say take special care, but everyone should be going to a skin doctor but that's a different podcast. <laughs> Check out the skin you're in podcast. Now. Um, uh, I've, I've sorry. Now I'm just thinking about melanoma. So I got myself off topic. <laughs> that's okay. We're, we're going to remind everyone to be themselves to but wear a hat <laughs> to get outside, yeah. but wear a hat yeah. um, brought to be you yourself, but wear a hat is actually I think that's my new motto. I, I think that could be a song. I mean, I kind of think it could Wait, write itself. That actually kind of is a funny. I'm sorry. I'm writing down be yourself, but wear a hat. <laughs> is that dorky to be like, oh, my God, I'm so smart. But I really I just think that's a nice motto. You're amazing. You're such a delight. You inspire me. Um, you make me happy. And oh. I know our listeners are feeling the same way. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Give this a, was so nice to talk to you. Give a big hug to your little baby and um, stay safe. You too. To some long frustration, may we act with psychosomatic symptoms difficult to endure, affecting the upper... My First Show is produced by Josh Altman, MEP, Dory Berenstein, and Alan Seals, and is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode was edited by Derek Gunther. Special thanks to Leslie Papa and Whitney Holden-Gore at Vivacity Media Group. For more info about the podcast, visit bpn.fm backslash myfirstshow. Follow me on Instagram at Eva R. Price. But it just won't work if she's tired of getting that fish eye from the hotel clerk. A patient can develop a cold. It says here, the female remaining single, constantly in suspense, shows a neurotic tendency. See note, see note. 
note. <laughs> Chronic organic syndromes. Toxic or hypertense. Involving the eye, the ear, the nose, and throat. In other words, just from wondering whether the wedding is on or off, a patient <coughs> can develop a core. You can feed her all day with the vitamin A and the bromophys, but the medicine never gets anywhere near where the trouble is. If she's getting a kind of a name for herself and the name ain't his, a patient can develop a core. And furthermore, just from stalling and stalling and stalling the wedding trip, a person can develop la grip when they get on the train for Niagara and she can hear church bells chime. The compartment is air-conditioned and the mood sublime. Then they get off at Yonkers Racetrack for the 14th time. A person can develop la grip, la grip, la post-nasal drip with the wheezes and the sneezes and the sinus that's really a pip. <laughs> From a lack of community property and a feeling she's getting too old, a person can develop a bad, bad cold. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E. Org, because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.